This is your host and Diverity PBC's Community Engagement Lead, Enrico E. Manalo. When it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's almost a given that we're talking about more than just race. But how does religion fit into that picture? In this episode of the DEI's podcast, special guest, multi-ethnic, neurodiverse, diversity, equity, inclusion, and intercultural practitioner, Rahime Ramazzoni, sits down to talk to us about religion in DEI, specifically some of the issues that people have in including religion in DEI efforts, as well as how religion plays into the dominant culture and therefore our worldviews, including the perspectives that can lead to prejudice, discrimination, and oppression. Just a reminder, if you find what we talk about on the DEI's podcast to be useful, insightful, or just plain interesting, give us a like, share it with your friends, and of course, subscribe. DEI is Unpacking What Religion and DEI Means with Rahime Ramazani starts in 3, 2, Hello and welcome to the DEI Is podcast. With me today is a very special guest. She is a multi-ethnic, neurodiverse, visibly Muslim American woman and a diversity, equity, inclusion, and intercultural practitioner, Rahime Ramzani, who has found her calling in addressing the experiences of marginalized religious, ethnic, and racial communities in the United States in order to create change on individual, interpersonal, and institutional levels. So, Rahime, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing super well. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And, you know, I'm really excited about our conversation today. Um, you know, we were just chatting before we went live about the uh, the fact that we've been able to connect a number of mm. times and establish mm. a rapport. And, you know, uh, some of the most fun that I have on these, uh, these episodes is actually the conversations <laughs> that we have before we go live. Like, I, I do wish that we could broadcast <laughs> those, like, but oh, I secretly am recorded it. <laughs> Surprise! But uh, it, it's just really great to be able to connect with you in this way. And I'm just so excited to, uh, to dive in. So, um, you know, there's this old saying that we should never discuss politics or religion in polite company. But, uh, you know, sometimes politeness is a barrier that we have to cross to really get to know one another. Uh, it, and it's really clear that these days just being polite is not going to be sufficient to address the many issues arising from our many, many differences. Mm. Uh, and in fact, it's something that holds back from advancing diversity, equity and inclusion efforts. So that's not to say that we shouldn't respect one another, but it's, you know, truly respecting and recognizing yeah. one another's humanity involves understanding how politics and, of course, religion shape our mm -hmm. human experiences. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we're talking today about today is uh, understanding what religion means in, mm. in DEI. So uh, before we jump into that, I'd like to kind of pivot to our audience uh and let me see here yes so the first question that we've got is uh what questions or concerns about incorporating religion into dei work in your organization or practice might you have for rahime and you can think about that as we're diving in here so um why talk about religion in dei work <laughs> so i want to approach with how you set up this conversation with politeness yeah and this is something that i see a lot not just when i bring up muslim inclusion 
which is another one of my specialties. And then also advocating for discussing religion and incorporating considerations of religion within diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in organizations is that politeness and like professionalism are usually code words for like white fragility and white comfort, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not that like there's no polite way to talk about religion. There is. It's just that it's uncomfortable <laughs> to talk about, right? Um, and discomfort is something that in order to do any level of any like <laughs> actual authentic diversity, equity, inclusion work and not just like the black square on Instagram sort of, yeah. you know, performative actions, mm -hmm. we have to be able to be uncomfortable and not see it as unsafe, not want to run away from it, not want to fight it. The whole fight, flight, freeze, fawn mode sort of thing. Oh, yeah. We can talk about religion in a way that is respectful to different beliefs. That's a huge part of like moving from the idea of proselytizing or like the only way of talking about religion is to like try and convert people to your religion mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't like being proselytized to. I know like other people don't like it. And in the workplace, that's completely inappropriate, right? Yeah. What we are talking about is religion as it is a part of someone's identity, the diversity of human experience, inclusion, so that folks of different identity groups, we talk about race, we talk about gender, we talk about sexual orientation, another part of identity, we talk about neurotypical versus neurodiverse, we talk about disability, so many parts of identity, all valid, all needed to be addressed, and also most people around the world do identify with some faith or religious tradition. Uh, and we need to be able to have a respectful way to authentically bring this into the workplace as it affects things going on in the organization. So for instance, one of the biggest things is like holidays, but it's also like, clearly you see there are people, not just Muslims, other folks as well from other religions that dress a certain way that they wear all the time. It's not just like in their religious institutions or in their homes. Are you saying then that they need to put aside their full, like not even their full identity, like a core part of who they are for your comfort because yeah. it makes you uncomfortable to see a Muslim woman in a headscarf or a Sikh person, a Sikh person in a turban or on and on and on other examples. Yeah. Um, not all Muslim women just to be clear, don't all wear a headscarf. That's not something I'm saying. But just as an example of something that you can visually see that even if I pretended like hid that I did my prayers out during my lunch break so that you didn't like feel uncomfortable that I'm like going off into a private room, I'm not doing it out in public. Um, you know, the fact that I might hide that I'm fasting during the month of Ramadan or otherwise Muslims do fast outside of the month of Ramadan as well as a spiritual practice. So many other examples and you saying, not of course, Enrico, you, but anyone who objects to this sort of thing is the idea is like your discomfort, just again, discomfort, not that you're unsafe, not that right. I'm trying to make you a part of like my religion. I'm not saying you have to agree with me, none of those things, but just your discomfort in having like me just live my identity out loud yeah, respectfully is like a no, no. And you would just rather I not just, could you just not just don't, it, you know, uh, I think there's some subtext to what you're saying as well, right? There's more complexity to religion than we often assume because well, in the U S we're really very, um, 
focused on uh, Protestant, mm. Christian, mm. and often evangelist kind of mm. forms of Christianity, which is not the totality of Christianity mm. at all. But my point here is that mm. often religion intersects with ethnicity, with culture, yes. with many mm. other layers of identity that are not easy to disentangle. Mm, mm, exactly. For sure. For sure. For sure. Like, for instance, Muslims in general around the world are racialized as brown yeah. when that is like that's just not the case. There are Muslims from any and every ethnic and racial group. There are Muslims who live in all parts of the world speaking all different languages. So when you so when someone who has a stereotypical view sees a brown person, they're like, oh, a Muslim. When that person might not be Muslim, is very well not Muslim, right? They can also see a black person and be like, oh, this person is not Muslim. When that person is Muslim, same thing with white folks and so many other like different identity groups that you like, oh, I don't know you to look like the stereotype of what a person from any religion looks like. So therefore, I just like, I'm not even going to be open to the idea of learning about that as a part of your identity right mm -hmm. i'm going to be shocked and just like <laughs> microaggress you right right um so you know returning to that thread of mm -hmm. the u.s um the u.s often kind of casts itself as a state without a religion but as we kind of mentioned uh there are actually yeah. a lot of people who act under the assumption that it is in fact a protestant and to be specific an evangelical christian mm -hmm. nation mm -hmm. So if we're trying to understand how religion impacts our worldview, uh, like, well, how can understanding that help us to better navigate our differences? So it's going to, of course, depend on who we're talking to and what their religious, if they have any religious background and upbringing, how that impacts them. For me, my religious background and Islamic identity absolutely impacts like the work that I do. I believe that Islam is an incredibly social justice oriented religion and it drives is a huge part of my why in doing DEI work, um, but also like looking at the diversity of human beings as like proof of like God's creation and so on. Right. Um, but there are people and honestly, like in the interfaith work that I've done in the past, most world religions do share most of their core values. Mm -hmm. We might use different terms in different languages, but if you look at the descriptions of what the practices are and like the values that different world religions advocate for, they are vastly similar. Not all the same. I'm never going to be like, oh, we're just all believe the same thing. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't go that far personally. Yeah. Um. You know, then that starts getting into like, you know, oh, I don't just, you know, I don't just don't advocate for one race of human, like in talking about racial justice. I just love the human race, right? Like, it's like, okay, now like people are unique and they need to have their authentic identities respected for their uniqueness. But at the same time, like we're not like literally different species, right? So balancing yeah. that at the same time. Mm -hmm. So the idea with the United States history, right, is that as we know, whiteness has been at the top of the racial hierarchy with brown people in the middle and black folks and indigenous folks at the bottom. However, what's tied to that, of course, is also like being a man is at the top um, and there's a hierarchy around gender. And then, of course, religion is something that we don't talk about a lot. The folks who came and colonized the United States 
we're Christian, right? And they used Christianity as proof as to why they were able to do the things that they did. Now, I will say, and I have to say this, so please, please, please hear me when I say this, especially if you are a Christian listening to this, and thank you for even being open to having this conversation. However, just like we distinguish in DI and social justice spaces between white people as just existing and whiteness, white supremacy, mm-hmm. I am distinguishing between Christianity, the religion, which especially as a Muslim, like Muslims very much see Christians as like cousins, like a sure. cousin faith, right? We have, again, we believe a lot of the, a lot of the same things. So I'm not, and anyway, it is not talking about the religion of Christianity. It is talking about Christian supremacy and how Christianity, just as Muslims also understand very much how our religion and values of justice and kindness and mercy and so on have been taken by people who want to do horrendous actions to justify whatever it is that they want to do. And it's not just Islam. It's not just Christianity. It's like any faith, non-faith, any ideology. There are people who are truly evil people who are going to use whatever they can to just justify what they want to do. Right. And then they're going to do that. So yeah. separating that with Christianity, I'm not talking about Christianity, like the true sense of the religion, mm-hmm. the and values, the, for yeah, example. the different, like the values, right. like the actual, yeah. It's about the supremacy aspect that if yeah. we in the United States say that we believe in the freedom of religion, Christianity is not the official religion of the United right. States and never has or the been. default for that matter. Right. <laughs> it technically should not be technically should not but be. <laughs> in practice it is um yeah, but if we know. agree that like it is codified in our laws in the bill of rights and no, maybe not yes the bill of rights i need to re- reread the constitution but it is a part of our founding documents the freedom of religion then that means that there should be an even playing field that christians have a chance an opportunity to practice their religion and have their values respected. Muslims, Hindus, Jews, Buddhists, Jains, right, on and on, like right. all the religions of the world, yeah. should have a respectful way to practice their religion and in spe- specifically speaking in the workplace as that relates to their day-to-day life while they're at work. Most people spend most of their time, their waking hours at work, right? So a mm-hmm. lot of that is going to come into that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's been really interesting. So my parents are uh, are very Catholic mm-hmm. and um, I, I love how you said they're very Catholic. <laughs> they're very Catholic. Uh, many Filipino families are, of course, not mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I hadn't been to church in a while. Uh, I'm not a practicing Catholic myself. Uh, and I was surprised that um, they had changed some of the language or the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. had. So rather than describing their members as uh as christians there was a shift where they were describing their followers as christ-like and now this is not to say that hmm. the catholic church doesn't also have its its For problems sure. i mean famously so but um digging into it apparently that was motivated as a reaction to what the catholic church saw mm. as kind of a hijacking of uh mm. the christian narrative mm. so i i just think that speaks kind of directly to what you're saying and yeah. I, I do also feel like Many people understand the freedom of religion to be like, uh, well, if I'm a Christian person, then I can practice my religion and I should not be made to feel uncomfortable at any time mm, by other no, religions. No, yeah, like be- <laughs> being made to feel uncomfortable, like 
that's not no 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 like it's not even a thing like that's your discomfort it's not somebody else saying oh i have this bag of discomfort and i'm gonna foist it onto you yeah (laughs) you therefore need to just like make yourself as small as humanly possible if preferable like just don't exist like just leave like don't be here in my space because i'm uncomfortable like that's not that's not okay right and that's the thing like so when i do these kinds of when i have these kinds of conversations it's with organizations and people who are already set like yes we want diversity we respect diversity we see it as a beautiful reflection of the human experience we want to include people we want everyone everyone to have equitable access to opportunities and to live as authentically as they want in our organization and spaces right like not forcing people like show us who you like like respecting boundaries as well but -hmm. hopefully if you set up a psychologically safe environment there will be people not everyone but there will be people who will share happily about their identities including their religious identity i've had many people that i've worked with non-muslims who've asked me sincere respectful questions because they really were interested and i'm more than happy to share and i know many muslims who are uh, it's just a matter of when you are trying to confirm like a stereotype that you have yeah. about my group or a bias that you have or you're asking like a really rude or intrusive question. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of Muslims in the last, you know, 20 years. What do you think about Al Qaeda? What do you think about the Taliban? What do you think about ISIS? What do you think? Like, what do you mean? What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right like like we what just answer had... are they expecting like yeah oh, i am <laughs> i am pro well, whatever like yeah mm, and unlikely. i mean september 11th just passed yeah. and to this day it still hurts a lot that like as an american i'm born and raised in the united states i very much do identify as being an american of course 9-11 tears at my heart as an american as a human being honestly like even if it were in another country, like seeing such a horrendous act and so many people dying in such a horrendous way, like, of course that touches my soul and it affects me and I want to speak on it, but I never do because I feel like me, especially like visibly being Muslim with the name that I have and so on. Like, of course now, like I talk so publicly about being Muslim, like people, I don't want people to equate that like, oh, see, like this Muslim is apologizing because right. she feels that Muslims or Muslims in general need to apologize for something like we had nothing to do with, we don't believe in, we stand against that kind of behavior. It is disgusting. It is against our religious values and so on. Mm-hmm. But even then, I still like, I still can't bring myself to say anything on September 11th to commemorate something that of course I want to recognize just like we recognize other atrocities that have happened throughout history and in modern day but because there's such a tied like narrative between oh like Muslims need to apologize for like something that other Muslims have done right I know this is something that we talk a lot a lot about like for people of different ethnic and racial backgrounds if you see someone from a racial background like an asian person a black person an indian person what have you a lot of the times if that person individual acts badly or is perceived to act badly their behavior and this is something that i was taught growing up growing up like i put on my hijab when i was 11 i was told so many times growing up like anytime you do anything in public because you are visibly identifiable as Muslim, your actions 
are going to affect how the people around you think of all Muslims around yeah. the world. Like, so just like, and like, that's a lot of weight for like, yeah, a, for anybody, like a 12 year old, 11 year old to carry and throughout my whole life. And I think that that really does affect a lot of the work that I do today. I, I could yeah. understand that. And, you know, uh, it is striking to me that for a nation, for a culture that is so hyper individualistic, in a second, we will say that individual represents an entire group. Like, group. Whoa, whole what? Group. Yeah. 1.8 okay. billion people. Every right. single person agrees and it acts right. exactly like this one person that I saw. So when it comes to directing anger and hate, we are collectivist. But when it comes to freedom and the American way and American yeah. values, we are we're all individuals. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't lump me in with other people, which is patently ridiculous. Um, so to pivot to our audience quickly, uh, mm. if we could fast forward to a year from now, what would mm. you like DEI practitioners and organizational decision makers to better understand about religion as part of DEI? And while those, uh, I guess I'll leave that up as uh, oh, sure. some some responses come in. Um, so for you, what are some of the biggest objections that you've encountered to incorporating religion into DEI work? Sorry, I was reading comments. Can you see that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So what are the biggest objections to incorporating uh, religion into DEI work? So definitely just overcoming. Yeah, <laughs> I was reading the comments. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sarah. That's uh, um, <laughs> I feel bad. LinkedIn doesn't like when I go back after the fact to look through people's comments because I like really want to appreciate how much like people engage like LinkedIn doesn't show it to me. So anyway, that's my excuse. So the objections that folks have to talking about religion in the workplace and in DEI work in general is like generally again, like one, there's a lot of discomfort. We have been so conditioned to just not ever talk about religion like to talk about religion publicly is to be impolite um it you must also it must mean that you are proselytizing and trying to convert people um which honestly yeah is the case a lot of the time that people only bring up because again it's only polite to talk about religion or it's never polite to talk about religion the only time people like really push against that is because they have an agenda okay often yeah yeah and again, even as someone who identifies with a religion, I really don't like when I feel that someone is trying to like convert me or like is asking questions about my religion so they can go like, aha, I got you. Right. Yeah. And then like one up me with their, you know, rhetoric and so on. Um, and it's, a lot of times it hasn't even occurred to people. Right. Those listening might be surprised as I've been talking and bringing awareness to the idea of bringing religion more into DEI work, I'm getting a lot of private, key private messages and conversations where people bring up like, actually my religious identity is a really big part of who I mm. am and I would love to talk about it more or I would love to have space to live my religious identity at work or in public, but I feel like there is such a stigma or so much judgment uh, or especially like with intersectional identities that they have so much bias and stereotypes for other identities that they are that's more obvious that it would feel like they're adding now another layer of like discrimination for themselves right yeah. 
So yeah. there's interest from people to want to be able to live this way out loud. It's just, and again, like the idea with people saying it to me so quietly and privately is because it is so stigmatized, yeah. right? So there are a lot of, those are the, like the main buckets of objections. The idea being, again, like we can just, my point with getting away from proselytizing is like, I'm not, and I don't ever talk about Islam, for instance, like in my case, right, um, to try and, um, excuse me, try and persuade anyone. The key is that I'm describing it in a way like this is what Muslims believe. This is my understanding of Islam. Uh, and of course, like there are many sects of Islam. There are many different ways of practicing. I don't know every single way that every single Muslim around the world practices. Uh, so knowing that I'm giving you generalizations, knowing that and anyone that you hear about their identity group from them, knowing that they are not going to know everything that they, there's to know about that identity group. So knowing that you've learned generalizations and then when you meet someone in your workplace, a, a neighbor whatever you meet a new person from this identity group, you can then show that you've done the basics of learning something about their group, which right. is amazing, right? Like it's not just like, Hey, I literally know nothing. Okay. I'm not taking the time to Google it. I've not done any work or the yeah. labor to like educate myself. I just want you random new person that I just met to educate me on your group. And you don't know if I'm going to no. like hate on you or discriminate against you if based on what you say. Yeah. So like you can show that you've done some learning and then ask for like, okay, but you as an individual, you as your way of practicing or living this uh, identity, how do you want to be respected? Right. And showing up without doing any learning on your own is naive yeah. at the very least, at the most benign and yeah. incredibly arrogant, you know, uh, on the at other the, side at of the, the other end. From, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot to dig into there, but I am being mindful of our time. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I do want to ask you, um, so in what world are we aspiring to create by incorporating considerations of religion into like an organization's DEI efforts mm -hmm. or like the, the DEI push as a whole? Yeah. So the idea at its core is that rather than focusing on um, issues in Muslims case of Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, like discrimination based off of religious identity, which by the way is like a nationally protected identity group as well. So like it has that as well. Mm -hmm. um, is that we're moving away from like, oh, someone is going to HR to complain about religious discrimination and now you have a lawsuit on your hands to actively promoting inclusion as a part of your company culture. And so that when people come into your organization, they're hired and onboarded they know as a part of that process that they are coming into an inclusive environment. So if they themselves have issues with a certain identity group, and in this case, a religious group, they can do what they need to do to either learn more, deal with like managing their negative perceptions and stepping into that environment, knowing that the culture, the norm, the expectation is that this is what inclusion looks like. And hopefully the idea being is that uh, people who are not going to be inclusive of different identities are not going to want to apply for your 
you know, to work right. for you so that you are actively weeding out people who want to be discriminatory and then, you know, put you and your organization at risk, right? Mm -hmm, that you then mm -hmm. have to deal with someone who you've hired, who causes lawsuits, who causes harm, who potentially the employees that are being discriminated against by this person, clients and customers who are getting a bad experience with your company based off of this person's discriminate, um, discriminatory behavior, right? All of that is prevented, right? By putting your values up at the front of your organization, at the front of the onboarding and hiring process so that people self-select out. And then the people you want to have in your organization are people who are going to be attracted to those values. Mm. Um, so for instance, like in Muslims cases, especially like Muslim women's cases, I will say, who wear a head covering, there have been people who I have spoken with and I've heard testimony from where they have had their scarf pulled off of them oh. at work. People who have had like straight up like sexual harassment shared but in like a religious racialized way based Ew. off of like religious idea yeah it's just like bizarre yeah. right um and if you have a company culture where inclusion of religious identity is so deeply ingrained that the people who are already in the organization know that this behavior is not going to be uh put up with and it's not just like oh just don't be racist oh just don't be islamophobic just don't be like like, no, 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 we're actively making space for it, right? That sets up a, a place of psychological safety for your community in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and people talk about psychological safety mm. a lot these days, mm. but I think it, it bears repeating that when we are not feeling psychologically mm -hmm. safe, that really influences our our actions, mm -hmm. our thoughts, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. not always on a conscious level. Um, yes. So it's really important to like the brain does amazing things. And we're just <laughs> really starting to learn much more about that in the past mm -hmm. few years. Mm -hmm. um, and so making sure that we are in a space where our brain can do the things that we want and need it to mm -hmm. do is super important because if we are fighting against our biology well we're, yeah. we're gonna lose it, uh, more often than not yeah um, and as company leadership right if you have gone out of your way to hire and onboard and bring in people who yeah. you believe are very smart who have amazing skills and expertise and especially like part of at least the business case for DI, which I don't love bringing up all the time, <laughs> but it is true, yeah. right? Is that if you have diverse experiences at the table, you are going to have much more innovative products and services like that is shown, but only if the people with these diverse experiences have the safety to put out and offer those perspectives without being like, no, that's not quote unquote the norm, which again, it's just right. code for like white supremacy, like culture and like white comfort. That's not the norm. We don't like it. And now we're going to penalize you for it. It's like, okay, then I'm just going to keep it to myself. And you're not right. going to benefit from all of the amazing ideas and innovations that I could contribute. And like your team in general could contribute to each other and create. That's just poof gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, organizational silence is something that I'm deeply interested in, but that mm -hmm. is perhaps a topic mm -hmm. for yeah. another day. We'll switch. We'll switch. We'll switch. <laughs> well, Rahime, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Really, really excited to have you on. Um, 
any kind of closing thoughts here or things that you're excited about that you want people to uh, to know or to check out or yeah no thank you as a closing thought before i do my my spiel thank you all um please stick around for that but the like closing thought is just that if you are feeling especially if you are in dei but in general people need to have the level of self-awareness to recognize when they're feeling discomfort bubble up in them, right? So before you start yelling at people like fight mode, flight mode, you just literally run away, you quit your job, run or, you know, block people on social media or what have you for making you uncomfortable, right? Not like trolls or anything like that. That's different. You need to be able to have grown your emotional intelligence to the point that you can recognize this feeling of discomfort is bubbling up in you and sit with, okay, what is this feeling communicating to me about my boundaries and my biases and my understanding of the world that is potentially being challenged? Is my identity being challenged and disrespected or is it just that I have never heard this perspective before? I haven't learn to be inclusive in this way and that's fine like i rahime doing this having this conversation absolutely had to do this work right <laughs> so i understand how uncomfortable it is and i know from other people criticizing other parts of my identity and me feeling like oh i want to fight them or oh i don't like what they said or oh they're like a bad person or whatever and having to learn to sit with the discomfort of what they said was valid and my closeness and identifying with this part of who I am, this culture, cultural part of who I am is not something I need to abandon because it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So just learning to get comfortable, not comfortable, less uncomfortable and sustaining the conversation and engagement through feeling discomfort, especially and even if you have other marginalized identities. And I say even because a lot of the time the focus in DEI spaces is if you have majority privilege identities and if you are white, mm -hmm. right? And that is valid and important. And we have those conversations already. What I personally am coming up against is folks with other marginalized identities who have not dealt with having to sit with discomfort in this area of privilege that they have they're used to talking about their areas of marginalization they're not used to talking about their areas of privilege and so for them they have a low tolerance <laughs> for talking about their own privilege right so that's my last thought if you are interested in having further conversations bringing me to speak consult train around this topic or around Muslim inclusion and equitable access in predominantly non-Muslim spaces specifically, either of those topics, please feel free to look me up on my website, rahimeramazani.com. Yes, unfortunately, I'm sorry, you will have to learn how to spell my name, uh, but I have all the information there. You can find me on most social media platforms as well. I am an active content creator as a way to educate people on this on these topics who don't have the ability to hire me on uh, for speaking, consulting, training. So yeah, reach out to me on any of those platforms. And yeah, you know, I'm just gonna chime in here. Uh, Raime is an incredible content creator. <laughs> and so like, do yourself a favor and follow her on TikTok. Thank you, uh, I, I genuinely <laughs> enjoy it. It's like really fun and also like fun in the creation process, but yeah. also I really do love that in some tiny, small, humble way, like I feel like I 
I'm helping make the world a better place. And that is incredibly, incredibly meaningful. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you once again so much for coming on today to join us. Thank you as well to the Diverity Network and uh, for full transparency here. Rahime is one of yes. our network consultants and we are so glad to have her. Uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks, um, bringing you more great content with another one of our network consultants. Um, and so until then, uh, I hope you'll be well. This is Enrico E. Manalo with... Uh, the DEI is podcast. Bye. Bye all. Thank you. Enrico here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the DEI is podcast. If you're walking away from this episode feeling like you've learned something, saw something from another angle, or if you just enjoyed it, give us a like, share it with your friends, and please subscribe. More people tuning in means that it's more likely that Diverity will catch the interest of investors, which is crucial for us to take things to the next level in addressing the inequities that DEI practitioners face under the current norms, standards, and practices of DEI consulting. Building a diverse, equitable, and inclusive organization is hard, but finding DEI expertise and services shouldn't be. If you're looking, you know where to find us. Till next time, this is Enrico Imanalo. See you soon.